Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. Today I have the incredible Kelvin Joseph, CEO of CoolKel Marketing, owner of Samantha Shoes and former CMO and COO at Steiner Sports. Kelvin is a very cool dude, always putting out content on LinkedIn, which made me want to reach out to him. And look at that. Now we got this podcast to rock and roll with. So make sure to follow Kelvin. Everything's going to be in the show notes, but definitely check out where he's been, how he's been doing what he's doing, and how enjoyable he is to just chit-chat with. That was a lot of fun, and I think there's a lot of nuggets and inspiration and wisdom from what he was saying and what we had the opportunity to talk about. So enjoy this conversation with Kelvin. Today's special guest on For the Love of Sports, we have Kelvin Joseph, CEO of Cool Kel Marketing, owner of Samantha Shoes, former CMO and COO at Steiner Sports, legendary Steiner Sports, and previous stops with Ernst & Young, Saks Fifth Ave, and Gilt. Kelvin, thanks for hanging out with me today. How often do you get Kevin? I I just have to ask. I'm assuming do people do it all the time? Well, I grew up in in an old school Caribbean family. I had like six names, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) So most people call me Cool Kel now. Cool, Kel. All right. Maybe I'll roll with that. It's kind of got a little ring to it. I like it, man. So, Kelvin, the first question I really like to ask everybody on this show is, why do you love sports so much? Sports is entertainment, and it is an amazing escape for people. I mean, there's so much going on in the world today. To be able to take your mind off of that and really be a part of uh, success when you attach yourself to a team, their wins are your wins, their losses are, are your losses. But, you know, at the end of the day, you get to go back to your, your regular life. So it's, it's a little bit of an escape. I would call it like a, a nap. You know, you ever get that, that, that nap that you need to get that extra rest so you could go on with whatever you had to take care of. But, I mean, for me, I feel the, the passion, the excitement of sports. And I think a lot of people do based on how much attention and and money is thrown after it a hundred percent i mean the the money aspect of it is huge i mean the industry you know worldwide is 650 billion dollars give or take a few cents here and there um but i totally agree with you it is totally it's an escape um i'm also one of those fans i'm a we fan you know we as in the mets we as in the new york giants uh that's that's how i take it and i know i get made fun of it all the time by people with i guess more level heads we can say but it's okay with me because I live and die. My emotions ride with whether my team's won or lost that day or week, uh, you know, so, or that season, especially recently. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely something where I totally agree. It's an escape. It's, it's allowing you to feel connected to a community. That's everything. That's what humanity is always looking for that connection. So I think it's really interesting. And, and I'm glad you brought all that up because it is very, very important, but you didn't start your career. It doesn't seem like in sports, at all. Um, sounds like you got there at some point. So I guess just before we really dive too, too deep into your story, was working in sports always a goal of yours or was it just something that kind of happened? I was the first person from my family born in this country, like the first to go to college. So for me, I didn't really know that you could get a job in sports. That seemed like, um, that seemed almost like a pipe dream to me. So I, you know, I majored in a solid major like accounting because I, I knew accounting. I knew I was a, a businessman. I never thought of myself as an accountant, but I found out that, listen, if your business doesn't know how to manage the money, you're not going to stay in business. So I figured, hey, let me learn how to stay in business. So that's why I took that major in college. And no, there's so many sports marketing and sports management majors going into college right now and the, the, the jobs supply and demand doesn't really match up so it might make more sense for people to build a foundation and then go into sports from a strength instead of looking for some kind of miracle hookup that's a, that is a great point um a lot of the time people do as you said they get that sport management degree and then 
you know, you go and try and just get into sports in some capacity, right? And, and it doesn't always work out that well. And, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of people taking that route that you're talking about, the one that you took, where you build a really solid foundation of understanding how businesses actually run. And then you can kind of come in through the side door, come in from the back door with all this experience and expertise. And now this way, you're not coming into the, you know, the market at, you know, $25,000 a year, like some of these college kids do because of that supply and demand. Now you're coming in from a point of expertise and strength where you can say, hey, I can do this anywhere. I want to do this with you guys here with this team or this league or this agency, but I can do this anywhere and it doesn't matter to me. So I think that also that point of leverage too. And, and that completely makes sense. I mean, I totally agree. I started in finance, um, hated it, got out of finance and decided I wanted to work in sports a little bit. So then I actually ended up working in something completely unrelated to sports, but it was in the social media space. So I started to understand that in the influencer space a little bit more and then was able to start my company here working with Olympic athletes kind of in that same space. So I learned a lot along the way in those three or four years and then was able to take that exper expertise and experience and be able to apply it, which sounds like a lot of what you did. So I do want to get into that story a little bit. I mean, only a couple of years. So you were at Ernst & Young and only a couple of years after graduating college, you started your shoe company, Samantha Shoes. What what was the driving force behind wanting to start a shoe company? My wife. <laughs> ah, that was easy. Very easy. So, so, you know, I was in love because someone that's working at the largest accounting firm in, in, the, in, in the world decides to like quit his job and become a shoe salesman. Like people thought I was like, I need to get my head examined. People and thought I was crazy. You were like, what, like 24, 25 years old? Yeah. I yeah, was, that uh, sounds <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. So, so the the reality is is that I like I said I was thought of myself as a businessman and I saw a tremendous opportunity and we actually took $10,000 and built it into a multi-million dollar company. We were Inc magazine both of us. We were Inc magazine 30 under 30 the same year as Mark Zuckerberg and he wasn't even number 1 on our list. He was number 4. So like so that was like a major list to make it on and so we must have been on to something. But I mean that's the that's the beautiful thing about passion. If you're passionate about something and you have a defined niche, then you're able to win in business and and we just went for it. I mean at the end of the day um in 2008, 2009, the whole world went to crap with the, with the, um, the, the biggest recession that we've ever seen. Um, and that really took the business down. But at the end of the day, here I am, I'm still standing. <laughs> still standing, man. And the, and the company's still, still alive. So, I mean, clearly you guys did something right, you know, surviving kind of that hardship. So I do have to ask though, as let's call it, you know, Tom Brady, Draymond Green, they know every single person that was drafted ahead of them. They know all the quarterbacks. Draymond Green knows every single person drafted ahead of him. Do you know every single person ahead of you on that Inc. 30, 30 for 30 list? No, I was just, I was, I was, I was like number 26 on the list. My wife was ahead of me. She was 25. I remember that. I remember Zuckerberg at number four. I thought that was cool that Zuckerberg was number four. Um, they might have got that wrong. Uh -huh. <laughs> Probably yeah. just top that list. But for me, I was just happy to be there on the list. I've never been all about like accolades and things of that nature. I just want to get the job done, you know? I respect that. That's the best way to go about it, man. I mean, titles, accolades, they, they don't mean anything, right? They, they really don't mean too much. It's like if you got the job done, you made some money and you helped some people along the way, maybe have a little bit of fun too, never hurt. But I think that's really important. I was only curious because, you know, again, just looking at some of these highly competitive people in sports, they know everybody drafted ahead of them, you know, that kind of thing. I wasn't sure if you had a little, uh, you, you had those names on your wall and as they're dropping off, crossing them off or anything like that. <laughs> nope. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we got to let our humility exceed our ability. I'm working on that. And, you know, I wish everybody in business the best. It takes a lot of guts to, to, to start your own business. And sometimes you need more than guts because you gotta, you gotta survive once you get in business. So it's not about, some people are addicted to startups and starting things, but they don't finish anything. So I look forward to, um, long, long success.
Absolutely. As you should, it's more, more enjoyable that way. And I totally agree. Those long-term partnerships, those long-term successes have uh, usually have a little extra, a little better taste personally in my mouth, at least. So you, you talk about the financial recession a little bit and, and some of the things that happened. So as you said, you took $10,000, turned it into a multi-million dollar business. Then the recession came. What, what did you do after the recession came and, and kind of how did you stabilize the business enough to make sure that you didn't have to close the doors but you understood you had to kind of scale it back just due to, you know, financial constrictions. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, is, is, is important for businesses to understand is cash flow and having money to grow as well. So as I was getting at the time, our, our biggest customer was Amazon and they were, they were buying a hundred thousand uh, dollars a month, and shoes from us and if you didn't have the money to make the shoes getting a sale for a hundred thousand dollars actually became a problem like oh my god we, we we have to now fulfill this order so so you know it got to the point where it really impacted the business when when in 2008 2009 the business was actually thriving however all my friends and family that had helped me finance the business, they were like losing jobs and like they all needed their money back. So I had to, I had to give every, I had to return the capital of all the people that invested in the company. Meanwhile, I'm getting all of these orders. So at the end of the day, um, what needed to happen is I needed a new capital source. And um, what I did is I actually fired myself from the business. That was the first thing. And I went back to corporate America and my wife ran the business. So that was our way of survival is like, okay, like this business cannot pay our bills right now. It's just, our, it just needs to survive. But let me go back to corporate America and you know, they love me there. So <laughs> I, left, I left again, so you can't get me back this time. But, but the reality of it is, is that I had an expertise and I went and I got a job because my kids didn't like eating ramen noodles. And I wanted, I wanted to think long-term and I was able to build a tremendous career. And now I'm back at it as a full-time entrepreneur and I'm much smarter now. 30 under 30 is cool, but man, 40 is really smart. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, think about it all, you know, again, I, I hate Tom Brady, but just to go back to, I hate him because he's so good kind of thing. But, you know, go back to, you know, he was talking about recently, like, how are you still so good? It's like, well, sports is the only business where you're really only in it for 10 years. Are you really that good at your job by 30? No, not really by four. Like, yeah, obviously there's, there's good things and you, and you can succeed, but at the same time, you're so much smarter 10 years later because you have so much more experience and wisdom and opportunities. And then 10 years on top of that, I can't wait to see when you're in 50. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a couple more years, but you know, it's just one of those things where the longer you're in it, the more you have the opportunity to learn. And if you can actually learn and take those and then apply it to what you're trying to do, I think that's the most important part. Um, so what did you learn in corporate America, you know, needing to go back in 2008, uh, working with, you know, guilt, if I'm not mistaken, in Steiner Sports and about that time period? Like, what did you learn throughout your time at both of those that you've been able to not only learn, but execute upon, you know, now in your time working and, and being an entrepreneur? Right. So when I helped launch guilt, basically the company went from zero to like a hundred million dollars in a very short period of time. And it was like a, a tremendous ramp up. A lot of the people who are part of the company um, had done different startups before. So it was just like, I mean, learning how to work that hard, like 80 hours, 90 hours a week, um, that taught me a lot. Just helping somebody else with their own startup um, was helpful. But then when I went to, to Steiner Sports, um, running a $50 million sports marketing and merchandise company, as well as um, the company being owned by Omnicom, which is the largest marketing and advertising conglomerate in, in the world and learning from all the smart people there. So it's, it's not just learning from um, what you're doing, it's learning from the people you're working with, but also we need to be learning every day. We need to commit ourselves to continuous learning. So it's like, I'm chain reading different books. It's almost like Mark Twain once said, 
that the, the man who doesn't read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. So we don't need to experience everything by just killing ourselves. There's like, pick up a book and read. Let's say you don't like reading. Audio book, you know, like instead of listening and drawing it out to some, some crazy rap music, you know, put, pop a book in there and, and listen to it. I mean, these are simple things that everybody could do. I completely agree. I read, um, I try and finish a minimum of one book a month. Um, just to make sure that I'm continuing. I know I could do more and I'm sure you're, as you say, chain reading, I'm sure that's one a week for you, but I'm usually, I usually have one audiobook rolling. Um, so when I'm in my car, I can, I can rock out to that. Um, and then, you know, at night or in the morning, I like to get at least 10 to 15 minutes in every single day at a minimum, just to make sure I'm continuously just putting some extra stuff in my brain. I think that's really important. And I also like, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't call myself a history buff, but I really like like the history of the earth and like what was going on in Mesopotamia, like 250,000 years ago kind of stuff. So I'm always kind of dabbling in some of that stuff as well. Just kind of, you know, sprinkling in some interesting stuff. Cause again, you know, not every day I want to read, but it's good too. And it, I know I should. So as I said, I usually try and get some of that stuff in. So uh, what else do you do just on a daily basis, you know, outside of reading and, and listening to audiobooks? do you do to try and make sure that you're improving yourself every single day? Well, I love LinkedIn because, you know, there's a lot of different social media out there, but I think some really cool uh, business people are hanging out on LinkedIn, posting um, content. And I, I like to look at and, and understand success at, at different levels. Um, everybody's success is different and everybody's happiness is different. So what you might want might be a nightmare for me, but uh, I love to see um, the hustle, and I love to see um, what people are putting out there. I, I think LinkedIn is an amazing opportunity for people to become an expert in whatever they're doing and build their personal brand. I know people love Instagram, but I'm like, unless you're like really, really pretty, I don't know how well you're doing on Instagram. No, I agree. Instagram's a fantasy world, uh, in my opinion. Everyone kind of knows it's, it's the best possible moment from your day or your week or your month or whatever, you know, we didn't really, you know, some people are good at it, but you don't really see the behind the scenes or what it took to get there. I have found on LinkedIn. Yeah. You get a little bit of that, but it is mostly, as you said, the hustle, the grind and what people are actually doing to try and build their businesses and build their brands, which I think is really interesting. Um, and that's where we connected. Yeah, I found you on LinkedIn a couple of years ago. I really liked, obviously, as I said, your background, what you've done um, with Steiner sports and just in general, what you're doing now with cool Cal marketing and uh, you know, wanted to connect. We were able to, and I was, I reached out a couple of times and I was able to get you on the show. So look at that. It's a, it's a pretty powerful tool. Boom. And who knows? Yeah. I come on the show. We become friends. You never know what, what, where things will take you. I always say you got to make friends before you need anything. Right? So if you're trying to make friends at the same time as you got your hand out and you want something, then it, it, it becomes weird because people become guarded. They don't let you in but you could speed up the relationship process by slowly building awareness. Then you have to have likability. Then you gotta have trust. Some people try to get awareness, likability, and trust in one connection request. Like, I run from these people. <laughs> I completely agree, man. It is, it, some of the messages I do get, um, some of them are interesting, some of them are heartfelt. Some of them, you know, you, you could tell someone is reaching out and, and I hope that's what it comes like, comes across like when I reach out to people. Like I am legitimately just interested in, in saying, hey, like I would love to talk. I'm curious about you and your business. There's a lot of people that I know. Maybe I can help you make a little bit of money along the way. Not looking for anything. Um, but over time, as you said, hey, you know, hopefully, Kelvin, we do become really good friends and we can help make help each other make a little bit of money. But right now, you know, I'll have you on the show. Hopefully you can share, share continue to share wisdom with some of the people out there listening. And, you know, I, I call that a success maybe. And hopefully at the end, who knows, maybe you like me. I think definitely. I think I like you already. But at the end of the day, this is content right here. You got to produce content. That's how you're going to, that's how you're going to win in, in your field. And I'm going to win by saying yes. When someone like you calls, because at the end of the day, if I start talking about myself, that's like advertising. But if you call me on the show, 
it's a good opportunity for me to talk. Exactly. Now I can ask you some, exactly. I get to ask you questions about yourself. And as I said, hopefully be able to share a little bit of that wisdom to some people out there um, and, and learn. So uh, back to your story a little bit. Thank you for that little uh, uh, tangent on LinkedIn. I love it. It's the place where I don't really spend too much time on the other social medias. That's the place where I learn the most. It's the place where I spend most of my time. It's the place where I've grown legitimate friends and legitimate connections through um, and kept in contact with people. So I, I, I'm a hundred percent on your side. So after the financial crisis, you, you, you fall on the sword a little bit, let's say. You fire yourself from your business that you've made successful. Thankfully, your wife's still there, so she can run it. And I'm sure, I'm sure you didn't completely take yourself away. I'm sure you had ideas and had phone calls occasionally, maybe over dinner, who knows. Um, but So you take yourself out of that situation. You go to guilt, um, absolutely rock it there. And then only a few months later, end up going to Steiner Sports. So what, what was that move like, again, going from that quick startup that, that insane, just insatiable 90 hours a week, we're going to have to do anything to make this exist to going to somewhere that's a little bit more established like Steiner Sports. And yeah, I'll, I'll just leave that question there. I would say that it was a dream to, to be able to do something I'm really good at within sports. I mean, I didn't even think that that was a possibility. So, I mean, I, it, it's not that glamorous to be working 90 hours a week for somebody else's startup. Um, and, you know, they promise you a bunch of things. So it's like you're, you're working, you know, stock options and things of that nature. So you're, you're really not a, a great person when you're working 90 hours a week. One, when you get home to your family, you're complete useless. You, you know, like, you don't even want to hear anything. Like, here's, here's dinner. Oh, I ate already at the office. Like, it's just a complete, like, waste. So, I mean, I was not in a very healthy space. So to be able to um, be able to help a business that's in sports and, and work with different, the, the best athletes in the world um, was definitely something that was an amazing opportunity I couldn't pass up. And how, how did you, how'd you come across that opportunity? Well, at the time, um, they actually needed someone to help them reorganize the business. Um, and I had been doing that when I was at Saks Fifth Avenue. I, had, I would go to different stores and reorganize the stores as well as um, give advice to the CEO of the company. And it was a public company at the time. So it was a pretty, pretty um, important role. And so at the end of the day, their accounting infrastructure as well as the, 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 the operations needed a complete overhaul. And I had been doing that for, for several years, overhauling businesses. So I, I came in like very modest role, like a, like a assistant controller kind of role, and then rose up through the accounting department, the controller, CFO, then um, chief operating officer, and then I had the dual role of chief operating, chief operating officer and chief marketing officer. So I, I, I rose from the accounting department to second in command. So it got to the point where I was learning a lot of lessons along the way. And, you know, it, it's not bad because at, at the time, I was pretty much the, the same age as like the biggest stars in New York. So you're, you're talking about like, you know, like, we're in our 30s together, like Jeter and Eli and Mariano Rivera and, and Lundquist and, you know, even like uh, uh, Carmelo, like all the, all the top New York people were like around the same age. So it was cool. But now, like the athletes I work with now, I'm 40 and they're like 22. <laughs> so it's so funny. But hopefully it leads to experience and they, they appreciate that side of it. But no, I'm, I'm sure it was a little bit more enjoyable, maybe a little bit more fun, let's say, when, uh, when you and the athletes are all the same age, kind of maybe going out and doing the same things. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And that's, that's too funny. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive rise to go from in the accounting department all the way to second in command only over a span of about 10 years. Um, what, what would you attribute that rise to? I would say that you, we all need to be able to add value. And a lot of times we want to get things. We, we probably want things before we're ready for them, or before we even deserve them. Um, and we have to really, it's so important for us to, again, let our humility exceed our ability. Um, it's something where 
we have to be open to learning new things and trying new things. Um, before, because my background was in business, operations, uh, accounting, for me to, to jump over and get into sales and marketing, that was a big jump for me. And it, it took a lot of courage. I mean, at the end of the day, I saw that I pretty much couldn't grow any further um, just being on the expense side of the business. That's one thing people don't understand is if you don't produce revenue, then you are an expense. If you are an expense for a company and it got to the point where I was one of the most expensive people not generating revenue. <laughs> so, so you can't really grow as much because a business wants to reduce their expenses and they want to grow their revenue. So if you're not on the revenue side or bringing in money to your organization, you're limited. No matter how good you are, how, how smart you are, if you are an expense, the company is actually going to work against you. They're going to want to control you. They're going to want to limit you. That's why it was so important for me to take that leap and move to sales and marketing. And, you know, the beautiful thing is there's always a connection point. Um, it's like, what is the connection point between business, accounting, operations, and sales and marketing? Well, I knew how all the decision makers thought. And I wasn't really focused on selling merchandise. That wasn't my thing. But I was good at building corporate relationships with companies for sports marketing events as well as um, activations and endorsements for companies. Because I spoke the language of the decision makers with their budgets and their, and their return on investment. I spoke that language. So when it came to coming up with a sports marketing event for them, what would be the right, the right athlete that would get them the best bang for their buck? I, could, I already spoke that language. So that was an easier transition. When you become expert in one thing, it gives you a bridge to something else. But if you're mediocre, and you, average action is gonna get you average results. So, you know, we need to take massive action to get the results we're looking for. Probably much harder than we think. Completely agree. <clears throat> Completely agree 100%. And, and I, I was gonna ask that question, where is that connection point? And I think you did a great job at explaining it and, and the point before it. Um, I think it is really important, again, for anyone out there listening and understanding and wants to get into sports, the quickest way you can rise and the quickest way you can get in is if you positively affect the, uh, the, the revenue, right? If you can positively show how you're affecting revenue, people are gonna keep you around. People are gonna want you in the business. They're gonna want you to to stick around and continue to grow with them because if they can see that, as you said, if you are an expense, someone out there is looking for a way to eliminate your job. I promise you that, right? There is some tech company in San Francisco right now trying to get rid of your job. Um, so it's, there's, only, there's always so many different ways and the, the most important way and the most important thing you can do to either get a job in sports or keep that job in sports is to positively affect revenue. And then that way you can just point to saying, hey, you, you you give me 50 grand a year, but I help you make 200, 250. I think that's a pretty easy way to keep your job, right? So Yeah, I think that that's super important because the reality is if you are an expense and let's say you're a young person breaking into sports, it's like, okay, there's someone two years younger than you. When you're ready to get a raise, all of a sudden things are getting kind of choppy with your boss because there's somebody two years younger that's willing to take less than what you originally made to get in the door. So at the end of the day, if you're not doing anything that drives revenue, it, it, it becomes a situation where you're relying on people liking you. That's not a long-term strategy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I'm hoping it's a, it's a strategy that'll keep you around, but that's not a very good long-term strategy. There's a lot better ways to go about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I found that everybody wants to get some, some, some cool job. They, they want their happiness to be coming from the same place where they get their money. Now, think about that. A job is not paying you to be happy. You can become happy because of the job. You can get the flexibility you need to become happier in other areas of your life. 
You can get the money you need to, to spend it to buy things that make you happy. But if you're, if you're looking for the job's purpose to make you happy, that makes no sense. The job wants to get value from you. You need to add value. They're there. The job is interested in getting value out of you, probably more value than what they're paying you. Absolutely. Most likely multiple times value. Um, but I do think if you're, if you're looking at it from the correct standpoint, hopefully you're trying to get value out of the job as well, right? Like as you did, you went and you hopped around at a couple, hopped around. You were at multiple Fortune 500 companies and then had the opportunity to work at one of the largest sports marketing and memorabilia companies in New York City, working with some of the best athletes on planet Earth. And you were able to, along the way, gain value from your job to then create your dream position, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, with what you're doing now. So I think it's uh, really interesting. And just one or two more questions on, on Steiner Sports. You were there for about 10 years. As you said, you were top two. You know, you were the, the right-hand man, essentially. What helped or what was the reasoning for you to want to leave the company and then kind of restart this entrepreneurial journey you were on about 10 years ago? Well, at the end of the day, when you have different alpha personalities, it's, it's important to understand who you are. And um, the reality is, is that what I'm able to do in Cool Kelp Marketing is do things my way. And when, when you work at a, at a company, you, you have to understand that it, it's not your company, so it's not going to be your way. And there is some security that comes with working for someone. Um, but then again, um, there's a lot more security when you build a business that is generational. I mean, cool kale marketing can be passed on to my kids, my son. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, I know who I am and I know what I want to do. And I love helping CEOs. And I, I think it's important for me to help multiple CEOs grow their business using the power of sports or even helping them communicate their cool in a way in which they can show the world that their product or their service is something that is cool. And for me doing those two things, I don't always use sports marketing. I mean, it's almost like uh, before it always felt like the solution I had to offer company was always sports marketing because that's what I was selling. So that's, it's not always a fit because everybody can't afford to have an athlete spending 50, a hundred grand for an, an athlete to do something. So, at the end of the day, most companies want to grow their sales. I can grow your sales by sports marketing, event marketing, um, marketing consulting, where I become like an outsourced CMO to the company. So it, it gets to the point where I'm able to use all aspects of who I am and I'm having a lot of fun. Hell yeah, man. Having fun. As we said before, hopefully you're making a lot of money, helping a little bit of people uh, along the way. And doesn't hurt to have a little bit of fun to do it, man. I think it's awesome. So you said something, and uh, I, I already had this question written down. I promise you. What is a company's cool? Well, the reality is, is that the world is very busy, and everybody thinks their company is so great. Um, but how well are they communicating it? That, that's, that's really important because – a lot of times you have something valuable to give, but no one knows about it. They don't know you. They don't like you. They don't trust you. So they don't care. So it doesn't matter how good your product is or how good um, your service is if, if no one knows about it. But when you look at the world today, if you tell people that you do multiple things or you do everything, they just won't trust you. People trust experts. People pay money to experts. Um, if you just have general ability, um, you know, most entrepreneurs are, are pretty good at multiple things. Most corporate executives are pretty good at multiple things. So if you're just pretty good, then you're not cool. Your expertise, your value proposition, what you bring to the table that is so special, so expert, such a niche that everybody is not gonna want it. 
You don't want to be so vanilla that you that you appeal to almost anyone. Oh, my business could help almost anyone. That means no one's going to hire you. No one's going to call you. Because if you're just average and you're not exceptional at something in particular, then you're going to have to spend a lot of money on marketing. But if you're cool, you attract customers instead of chasing them. So at the end of the day, your company's cool is your unique value proposition that inspires passion and brand loyalty. And you're never average. You're always the best. Always. always. I love it, man. That is awesome. That was good. You got me fired up, man. You got me real <laughs> fired up. So you, so, so just to kind of, just to touch on that point, I mean, obviously again, you've, you've worked in a multiple multitude of different areas of business. You've worked in multiple different verticals, uh, obviously accounting, Saxon Fifth. Um, so obviously fashion, you have a shoe brand uh, working for Steiner Sports, so sports company where, when, when someone comes to you, uh, like, knowing that probably what they know most about you is your 10 years at Steiner sports. How do you make sure to combat? Like, I'm not just a sports guy. I, I can understand your business and how you work and what you're looking for as well. Well, the best way to do this is to make friends before you need anything. So I'm not usually in a position to be cold calling people or trying to convince them that I'm good. Um, what I do do is I do put out content on LinkedIn daily. Um, and the, my content has a theme to it about the things that I'm good at, as well as things that I want to share with the world. Um, so I give away a lot of my, my, my wisdom for free. So people don't have to question if I have it because I'm already giving it away for free. It's oftentimes that people agree with what I'm already saying, but they just need help to implement it or they're so busy that they could probably implement it themselves, but they want to get home to their family a little bit more. And, or they don't have an internal person that can do what I do. They don't have a right-hand person to help them because at the end of the day, the best people who do what I do, if they're good, they don't want to work for anyone. So, so it gets to the point where it's like, if you actually get somebody who's really good at driving sales and revenue and, and building businesses that wants to just you know, work for you, that's very weird. So most companies don't have this person. So at the end of the day, um, by making friends before you need anything, people get to know you and you start getting referrals coming in. I'm doing this podcast for, with you so your friends will probably call me i mean i mean this is like this is how this thing goes i mean at the end of the day when you make friends before you need anything you don't have to chase people down and you're able to position yourself as an expert at what you're doing and then here's the reality if i call you pitching my business i'm a salesman you won't, initially you won't know me, you won't like me, and you won't trust me. That's hard work. That's hard work. That's like making a bunch of calls to get one person. Now, if I draw you to my business by putting, by adding value, putting out content, being good to people that refer me, now you're coming to me. Okay, I'm, I'm like, instead of saying, hi, I'm, I'm Kelvin from Cool Kel Marketing, can I sell you something? I'm like, hi, this is Cool Kel, how can I help? <laughs> it's a whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. I mean, you have the hand up, you're, you know, someone's coming to you, it's, the sale is a million times easier. I've been in sales for a very long time and it's mostly cold calling, it's mostly outreach and, and understanding that it does work. Um, I don't think anyone ever actually enjoys cold calling. I've never met a person that's like, yeah, I can't wait to go to work and cold call 150 people today. But it's just one of those, you know, necessities in most people's lives. But it sounds like you've been able to uh, figure out the system a little bit and make it so there's not as much cold calling involved. It's a little bit more of inbound uh, than outbound, which I think most salesmen listening would probably really enjoy that. So I hope a couple of my friends do end up calling you uh, cool, Kel. 
Well, I'll tell you this as well. And here's some advice, not only to your friends, but also to you. You got a tremendous advantage when it comes to being young. I mean, think about it like this. The biggest mistake that I think I've made in my career that I'm fixed, I've already fixed now, is that when I was younger, I only wanted to talk to the people that were like VPs, CEOs. It's like when you're 20 something or 20 nothing years old, what do you have to say to a VP or, or, or a CEO? What value can you really add? So you're building relationships, but you're, you're kind of like the, the up and coming kid to, to these people. They, maybe they help you, maybe they mentor you a little bit, but you're not really at their level. And you probably won't be for a while. But then again, there's nothing wrong with being 25 years old and helping a bunch of kids that are like 21 and trying to, you know, they're on their mom's couch. They got a sports marketing degree. They got a sports management degree. They can't get a job. Why don't you help them? Because in 20 years, when you're 45 and they're 41, like that help you gave is going to be tremendously valuable. Even, even in 10 years, like the people that are like 25 right now are going to be 35 in 10 years. And they're going to be running most of the stuff. And the people who are like 50-year-olds right now are going to be done. They're going to be like 60. So like you're making friends with CEOs and VPs that are 45, 50, 60 years old, ignoring, actually disrespecting everyone in your peer group, you know, not even giving them a, a time of day. They might even be two years ahead of you. Like, oh, you're just a coordinator. Uh, I'm not talking to you. I only talk to VPs. <laughs> it's just crazy. I've seen interns that only talk to VPs. They don't even talk to fellow interns. That's how crazy this world is. But there's people that are trying to connect on LinkedIn with CEOs and VPs who are not even active on the platform. <laughs> Meanwhile, if they connected with all of the people at their level, 50 of them a day. I mean, at the end of, at, in, in less than a year, they'll have 15,000 connections of their, their whole peer group, and you'll take over the whole industry because you know everybody in the industry. And you'll be surprised, someone two years older than you, two years younger than you, building a network with those people is much easier. You could add more value, and it's a lot more fun than begging a CEO to call you back. <laughs> that's awesome advice, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't exclude anybody, but that's, you know, hopefully that will make me change a little bit and kind of at least doing a little more outreach to some of these people that I guess are, are, are on my level. Because yeah, I mean, you're right. First off, they're in the companies. So I mean, that's already a warmer lead than if you were just going to that person that's 40, 45 years old, probably hates their life because they've been doing it for 20 something years, right? So there's that aspect of it. But also the fact that yeah, maybe, maybe one of these rock stars does rocket to the top, maybe one of them starts their own company or something, you know, it's like, it's silly to think that just be like, you know, like, what, what makes you so great that you're not willing to talk to someone on your level, right? Like, that makes no sense. So that's a really good point. I, I won't say I exclude anybody. But I definitely think now a little more outreach will happen within people, as you said, within my peer group, because you never know, maybe they know, maybe they have the CEO easier. My brother works for a company. And he is like the lowest of the low. He goes golfing almost every single weekend, one of like the top three people at the company, just because he knows them, right? And they just BS one day and then they're like, hey, you want to go golfing? And now he's got this guy's ear where, you know, most other people in the company, you know, don't even get their emails returned from this guy. My brother goes and plays 18 with him on Saturdays, right? So you just never know. That's amazing. And I think the reality is you got to play the long game here. You got to play the long game. This, you can't be going into these things with like short-term thinking short, will get you short-term results. And I really feel like there's a big crop of people that are anywhere between 25 to like 32 right now that are going to be running everything. And I think they don't get enough credit for what they're doing. And on top of that, the people that are the most disrespectful are people that are actually not even at their level. It's almost like, oh, hi, I'm Joe Blow college student. I'm looking to get um, my foot in the door in sports marketing. 
Kelvin, tell me a little bit about your career. That's a great question, but I haven't got my foot into anything for 10 years. I've been in. You got to talk to someone that's two years older than you who just got in. I don't even know how to even interview for a job. I mean, I have no clue. So, so that's something to think about too. I love it. I love it. And that's, that's a great point. Um, you, you're, you're, you're dropping some incredible knowledge, some incredible wisdom. I hope you have all this recorded. If you don't, thankfully I do. So you got nothing to worry about there. Um, one, one, a couple last questions for you. One thing I always like to, to hear, especially with, especially, I mean, I know you've been an entrepreneur and you've kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit, it feels like for a very long time, but specifically after leaving Steiner and starting Cool Kel Marketing and being there for 18-ish months now, what have you learned about yourself over that period of time that you didn't, it was either there and you didn't realize or it's something new that now you're starting to draw upon a lot more often? I think I love, meeting new people and building relationships. I think the aspect of running a business, especially somebody else's business, is not the part that I love the most. I love I love the, the, the business development and the sales part of it. I love making friends before I need anything. I've learned that about myself. And the actual work itself, the work of sports marketing or event marketing or marketing consulting, that kind of work is not even as fun as the building of the relationships for me. So, so I did learn that about myself. Um, the first year you're in business is, um, is, is tremendously hard because of the transition. We're all in the relationship business. So, you know, it gets kind of weird when, when, you, when you're leaving a company and there's relationships and, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, who gets to keep the dog, you know? So, that, 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 that becomes a difficult thing, but you know, I'm past that stage now and, and you know, I'm just having, I'm enjoying it, but I'm understanding the pieces of it that I do enjoy. Business has to get taken care of. So you can't just work on the stuff that you like doing. You have to run the business. But I know that, you know, I enjoy um, meeting with people. I enjoy bringing a smile on people's face and, and I'm trying to do more and more of that part of the business. I love it, man. I love it. Bringing smiles to people's faces. If that's what you did all day, I'm sure you know, you'd be very, very successful at it. Um, you haven't stopped smiling this whole time, just so. And I, I appreciate that. It's always a little bit nicer when you're talking to someone that you actually tell wants to be here, right? Like I talk to people all the time and sometimes they just, they call me back just because they feel like they have to. And it's yeah. just kind of a downtrodden conversation and really no one's enjoying themselves. And Hey man, why did you have, why'd you call me back? If you weren't going to just give me one more, two word answers the whole time. Like we don't have to do this. Like it's cool. Like I have so many other people I could talk to right now, but I understand. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it does happen. And sometimes people are just having a bad day. So hopefully again, they can listen to some of your stuff and check out some of your content and thoroughly enjoy themselves. Um, so then just the last question for you, uh, Kelvin with cool Kel marketing again, only being around a couple 18-ish months now, not even 20, 24 months. What is, what's the pie in the sky view of the business? I, I don't like asking what's it going to look like in 10 years or five years or in a hundred years, but like if you could have the perfect iteration of the business, at least right now, what you're thinking, what does that look like? For most businesses, you need to first establish consistent, reliable revenue. If you don't have consistent, predictable, reliable revenue, you won't have a business, right? So that that's a key thing when you're first starting a business. It's about, okay, where's revenue gonna come from? And you gotta understand that you gotta diversify because if one man is feeding you, then one man could starve you. And so if it's great to land a big client and you're getting 60% of your business from a, you know, a big client. But I did that in my 20s when I had Amazon as a client. And, once they stop ordering, you, you don't even have a business anymore. It's like you're working for them. <laughs> you know? So you, 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 it's so important. And for me, I'm trying to upgrade the quality of my client. Most businesses want to increase their sales. And most businesses don't have someone like me in-house to do it. So they, they'll rent a piece of me or I'll do an event for them or I'll invite my VIP or C-level friends um, to meet with them um, through event marketing. The reality is, is that I want to be in a position where I could be super selective on my clients, 
And if things are not working with a client, there's so many people waiting that I can end those relationships and, and, and basically only be in happy situations with clients where they need me as much as I need them. And it's not, it's not that, oh my God, I'm gonna die without this client or like they rely or this or this client is relying on me for their whole business that's not good either um so it's a balancing act so the key is quality of clients and consistent reliable revenue um once you have that you gotta be um the only thing that is constant is change so we gotta be ready to to change and do things a little bit differently when you talk about sports you're probably in 10 years are going to be talking about esports if it's not sooner. Um, you see that certain major sports are declining and you see what's going on. TV might not even be a thing anymore in 10 years. You got to be doing things differently. So for me, I always want to be helping CEOs and corporate executives, either at Fortune 500 companies or smaller companies to communicate their cool and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it for a long time i love it this is fantastic kelvin joseph ceo cool kel marketing sincerely appreciate your time today man all right all good thank you so much for listening to this episode of for the love of sports with kelvin joseph as i said everything will be in the show notes all links to all his social medias check him out check his company out and make sure to give him a call that way we can say that I actually did have one of my friends call him. If you could please give us five stars reviews on iTunes and Apple, if you could subscribe, share, do whatever you got to do. I think these stories are really cool. There's a lot of inspiration, especially in this one, and lots of nuggets of wisdom that I think people can really learn from, which I think is is one of my favorite parts about doing this show. So thank you all so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.